Amen. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Good to have all of you here this morning. Speaking of the holiday season, just a reminder before the message this morning about our holiday schedule. This Wednesday is the last midweek service of the year. We always take the Wednesday before Christmas and the Wednesday after Christmas off, which this year will be the 21st and the 28th. So this Wednesday is the last midweek service. And we're going to be talking about trusting the Lord out of the book of Exodus. We'll pick it back up on Wednesday, January the 4th, the first Wednesday of the new year, back here for our midweek service. Then, no service on Christmas Day, but we are encouraging everybody to come out on Christmas Eve, Saturday night, 7 o'clock for our Christmas Eve candlelight service right here in the auditorium. And then the next Sunday, New Year's Day, instead of two services, 9 and 11, we're just having one at 10 o'clock. So please note that in some way. We would hate for any of you to miss out on something uh, because you didn't get the information, okay? And we have had that information up on a slide for several weeks now, uh, before and after the service, but we want to let you know that. And please let others know that as well. So today we are in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. And I've entitled this message, A Merry Christmas. But we're spelling Mary M-A-R-Y instead of M-E-R-R-Y. We want to talk about Mary today because she is the prominent person that is expressed in the passage that we're looking at, Luke 126 through Luke 156. Now, when it comes to Mary, people tend to go to one of two extremes. They either magnify Mary so much that Jesus takes second place, or they ignore Mary totally and fail to give her the esteem that she deserves. We're going to try to bring some balance to those extreme views because we want to take a Sunday and we want to Lift up Mary as an example for each of us. I think the things that are revealed here concerning her and about her would be a great way for us to celebrate not only Christmas, but to celebrate each and every day and season of our lives. Now, I want to... Before we talk about Mary specifically, just say a few words about some of the other characters. And certainly, we don't want Jesus to get lost, even in the story of Mary. Jesus is the greatest figure in every passage of Scripture. In fact, when the angel announces the child that Mary will be carrying, 
Notice what he says in verse 31. Listen, Mary, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. God saves. He will be great. I actually put there the greater than symbol because in the original language, it's basically he's greater than anyone or anything. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Then if you go down to verse 35, therefore the child to be born will be holy, holy other, and he will be called the son of God. Jesus, the greatest person who ever lived on earth, greater than anyone or anything. Let's make sure that our Christmas and every day of the year celebrates Jesus, the greatest one. I want to also talk for just a second about the angel here, back up in verse 26 that we are introduced to. His name is Gabriel. He has a few appearances in the Bible. I want to mention him for this reason. He, he is a reminder to us about how big our God is, how big God's plan is, how expansive it is, how much time and everything it, it transcends, and the fact that we're all, no matter where we are on the timeline of history with God, we are all just part of a much bigger picture. As we've learned throughout our study of the Old Testament, we are simply a link in the chain, a chain that came before us and a chain that comes after us. And that God is trying to remind us through this that, again, what he has planned is more than we could ever take in. And that's even true of our own lives. There is no way that you and I as finite human beings, there's no way that we can take in all that our life is going to mean and all the people that our life is going to touch. We can't do that on this side of eternity. I believe that's one of the things that God will show us on the other side. And the reason I want to mention that in association with Gabriel is this is the, the next time Gabriel is mentioned in the Bible for 600 years. 600 years earlier than this, he appeared to another follower of God, a man named Daniel. And when he appeared to Daniel 600 years before, guess what his message was to Daniel? Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. And Gabriel was sent by God to Daniel to reveal to Daniel who this Messiah would be in order to encourage and strengthen Daniel. Now, can you imagine 600 years later, God says to Gabriel, Gabriel, guess what? I now want you to go, and I want you to go and announce to this young woman in Galilee that the time has come, that I'm going to do this after all this time. And, you know, there the angels are in heaven. They, they, they see the years that go by, the centuries that go by, and yet it's all part 
of this grand and great and gracious plan that God has. And, and you know, sometimes we just, we're so short-sighted in the way we look at things and the way we, and, and God just wants us to just let it be big. Let it be beyond, be beyond what we can comprehend. Let it be greater than we could ever imagine. That, that's who God is. And let's not try to bring God down into some manageable box that we create and somehow lessen his greatness by making him a God and the, and the plan that he has be something that we can all wrap our minds around and understand. He's greater than that. And he always will be. Obviously, Elizabeth is mentioned here as well in this passage of Scripture. And the reason I want to just touch on her for a moment is all of us need at times in our life that person that we know we can go to who's going to get us, who, who understands us, who, who's going to be that person maybe that just listens and supports and, and all of that. And Mary needed that at this particular time. She, she needed some time with Elizabeth. We all need that person in our life, whether it's a family member or a friend that we can get together with and we can just be together with. And there's just a comfort level there. There's a, there's a fit there. There's an encouragement there. There's strength in that relationship. And that's what Mary found in Elizabeth. But I want to get to Mary. And I want to show you three things about Mary or concerning Mary that each of us can apply to our own life and walk with God every day. The first one I want to point out is in verse 28. The angel Gabriel comes to her and says to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And then down in verse 30, Gabriel says, Mary, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Mary was a favored one. Let's talk about that. What does that mean? Because I think sometimes, even as followers of God, when we think about God's favor being given to someone or poured out to someone, that we can have some erroneous ideas or thoughts about what that means. Because many times, too, we associate God's favor with his blessing. And that's certainly, there's nothing wrong with that. But again, when we associate or think in our minds about being blessed of God or favored by God, I, I think sometimes we get some unbiblical thoughts for this reason. The concept of being favored by God means that God's grace is going to pursue that person. 
that God's grace is going to encompass and surround that person. Or even another way to say it, in verse 35, is the angel goes on and says, Mary, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you, envelop you, encompass you. So it's this whole idea that when one is favored by God, one is literally pursued and wrapped up and surrounded and encompassed with his grace. And God's grace is the supernatural enablement that he gives to a human being in order to accomplish what he's asking of that human being. So when the angel comes and says to Mary, you are favored, it doesn't mean that somehow she's more special than anyone else. It means that God has chosen her because he has seen in her young life up to this point that she is receptive to the grace of God because we all have a choice when it comes to God's grace. And that is in each and every situation that God asks us, we can receive his grace or we can push it away. Up to this point, God has seen in Mary that there is a pattern of receiving his grace when he dispenses it. Therefore, she has found favor in God's eyes, and God now is going to ask her to become the mother of the Son of God. But in doing all that, he's going to surround her pursue her, encompass her, envelop her with his grace, with his supernatural ability and enablement to be able to be what he's asking her to be so that she never has to do this on her own, in her own strength, in her own ability, but she can lean in to the grace of God in order to do it. Something else then that this reminds us of is I want to take a few minutes to get into the reality of the Christmas story. Because like many things as human beings, we can tend to romanticize things. Or we can tend to take something and sort of, sort of take a, a cloth and sort of wipe antiseptic over it to make it more appealing. I don't want to do that today. I want to strip all that away. I want us to get down and think about the nitty-gritty of the Christmas story and of what God was going to ask of Mary because she was definitely going to need his grace. And, And I think I'm hoping, too, that in going through some of these things, that you and I might have a more accurate biblical understanding of what it means to be favored by God. That being favored by God doesn't mean there won't be challenges, difficulties, suffering, and pain, and not. No, what it means is that each and every step of the way, whatever God is asking of us, God will give us the grace to get through it 
to navigate it, to deal with it. Not that life is going to be without its issues. Because think about, Mary was probably between 12 and 14 years of age. You had to at least be 12 years of age as a female Israelite in order to be betrothed, which she was. And though we don't know exactly her age, everything that I've ever studied points to the fact that she was very, very young, probably between 12 and 14. So start there. You gals especially, think back to when you were 12 to 14. And then God is going to ask her to become pregnant and that she's got to navigate this whole deal about the fact that she doesn't have a human partner. And that she's going to have to relay this story that, yeah, I'm pregnant, but it's by the Holy Spirit. And we know that the majority of people in Mary's life throughout her life never bought that story. She was the object of ridicule. She was the subject of gossip. People were always talking about her behind her. Yeah, this, I mean, think about it. You're 12 to 14 years of age. Messiah hasn't come yet. God sends Gabriel to your house he tells you, you're going to become pregnant, but not by a human father. And you go to your parents, and you say, I'm pregnant, Mom and Dad, but it's not what you think. You begin to understand, see, right? Not all, you know. And then God's going to ask this young lady to have to navigate this with the one she is betrothed to. And she's going to have questions like, well, what's Joseph going to think? Is he going to accept me? Is he going to... All these... Now, that's why the song Mary Did You Know is so perfect because there... God did reveal some things to her about what this was going to entail, but not everything. In fact, I think after the revelation of Gabriel to her she probably had more questions than she had answers. But he was going to give her grace. Then you think about the fact that when the time came for her to birth the Son of God, she wasn't going to be in her hometown, surrounded by family and friends and everybody that was familiar. She wasn't going to birth this baby in some you know, great hospital that had a, a great, you know, baby section and neonatal and all that. And all. No, she was going to be asked by God to have this baby in a place that she was not familiar with. Oh, and by the way, they weren't going to have really any lodging place at least it was recognized a lodging place to go. They were going to find this sort of offshoot, this, this cave. Nobody was going to be there. No midwife, which was the norm to have a baby. Joseph was probably the one that delivered the baby, and poor Joseph had no experience with that. 
And then she's going to have to lay her firstborn son in a feeding trough. I mean, on and on it goes. We think, oh, Christmas, and you think about, no, think about the difficulty and the challenges. Oh, by the way, think about her riding a donkey or some beast of burden 90 miles while she's nine months pregnant. Only you gals who've given birth can truly appreciate what Mary went through, right? And yet God said, you're favored. You're favored. Because I'm going to give you the grace to do it. And then even after the birth of Christ, what happened? It is revealed to her and Joseph that there is someone who wants to hunt her firstborn son down and murder him. So now they've got to take off from Bethlehem, and instead of going back home again, they've got to spend several years in Egypt, <coughs> hiding. Doesn't that sound like fun? And I'm just going to skip to the end because there's so much more we could talk about, but then she's going to be asked one day, as even a mother that's probably still not 50 years of age, to see her firstborn son, who's in his early 30s, murdered in front of her on a cross. Favored one. Maybe we need to begin to have a new understanding of what it means to be favored by God. Mary's life was far from easy. It was far from, you know, no difficulties and no challenges. No. But what God did revealed to her is that Mary whatever I'm asking of you in this life I am telling you this I will give you all the grace that you need to navigate it all you and I can live the same way because all of us as God's children are favored by God. Because the New Testament teaches us that every last one of us who is a child of God can live by his grace. And just like Paul learned, God's grace is sufficient no matter what he asks us to go through. That God will give grace to those who humble themselves before him. That he calls us to the throne of grace that we can find grace and mercy to help in every time of need. There is never a reason or never a season or never a moment in our lives where we cannot live under the favor and, and the grace of God. No matter what God asks of us to do, we can have the grace of God to do it. That's what it means to be favored. Not that it's an easy life. Not that it's a life without its trials and tribulations and suffering and pain. Mary had so much of it throughout her life. And yet the angel said, you are favored. You are favored, Mary. The second thing I want us to see about Mary is she is not only the favored one, she is the willing one. In verse 36, 
The angel is trying to encourage Mary by saying, look, your relative Elizabeth also has become pregnant, even in her old age, because with God, nothing is impossible. And so notice these next words. So Mary said yes. Do you know I highlighted those three words I mean as boldly as I could in my Bible. Mary said yes. She had so many questions at this point. There were so many things that she did not know, again, about how all this was going to fall out and how it was going to affect her and her family and her relationships and all this. She had no idea all that was going to come to her because she was going to be the mother of the Son of God. She knew some of it, but certainly not all of it. But she said yes. See, I think sometimes we need to follow Mary's example. We want God to give us all the information up front before we say yes. We want God to answer all of our questions We want him to give us all the explanations, and then we'll say yes. No, no. Mary, all she had to know was that God would give her the grace that she needed every step of the way, and that with God, nothing was impossible. The angel never told her how actually it was, I mean, he told her, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, but he didn't get into the details of how is the Holy Spirit going to literally perform this surgery, in a sense, inside of her so that she has a virgin birth and the, the Son of God. He doesn't get into all that. All he says to her is, look, it's bigger than you. You're not going to comprehend it all. You're not going to be able to wrap your mind around it, but just know this, God can do it. And she said yes. Do we say yes? When God comes to us? I know there have been many times in my life where I haven't said yes to God. I said no, especially initially. God was patient with me, waited for me to get on board, and then sometimes down the road I did. But I'm inspired by that. I want to be more like Mary. I want to be able to say yes, knowing that God is with me and that's all I need to know. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Okay, Lord, I'm on board. She had confidence to entrust the entire situation to God. And I mean, when you begin to think about this young woman, 12 to 14 years of age, what would have been flooding her mind? God, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? I'm sure, as I said, she had more questions after this revelation than she had answers. But she said yes. Because the most essential thing she had already been given. 
And that was, the Lord's going to be with you, and he'll give you the grace. Okay, Lord, I'm on board. Not only the favored one, but the willing one. In fact, notice she goes on to say to the angel, after she says yes, she says, I am a servant of the Lord. That word servant is one who gives themselves wholly to another. In other words, Mary is saying, even at this young age, I've already given my life to the Lord. Whatever he wants of me, I'm on board. Wow. That's amazing. Especially, again, for one so young. But again, it, it reminds us that age doesn't matter to God. What matters to God is our heart. No matter how old we are or how young we are, God is just looking for hearts that are open and receptive to him and to his revelation and to his grace. Hearts that are willing to say yes to him and not no to him. And he knew he would find that in Mary. Because, again, he saw a pattern in her from a very early age that when he would give her grace, she would accept it and receive it. And so he sent the angel Gabriel to that little town in Nazareth to announce that she would be the one to bear the Son of God. But not only was she the favored one and the willing one, she is the worshipful one. Because the majority of what Mary says in this passage is contained from verse 46 through 55, and it is her hymn of praise. Even with all the questions that she may have going on in her heart and mind. You know what her initial response is? She is overwhelmed and overcome by the fact that God would give her such an honor, such an opportunity, and such a privilege that she literally bursts into praise. I think that this is because, again, even at a young age, she had learned to develop a lifestyle of worship. That worship wasn't just something that Mary did when she went to the house of God. That worship was something that this young lady did every day of her life. It's something that we need to follow her example in. Notice some of the wording here. Mary says, my soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has begun to rejoice in God, my Savior. Notice the word soul and spirit. Her praise is not only personal. Her praise comes from within her. It is her very soul and spirit that is magnifying, celebrating, and exalting the Lord. 
And when she says in verse 47 that her spirit has begun to rejoice, in the original, it has just begun. In other words, this revelation of Gabriel to Mary has now begun in Mary a whole new level and a whole new life of worship. That I, I think that God now is taking her from this level of worship to a whole other level of worship here. And in a sense, Mary is saying, oh, I've, I've just begun. I've just begun. This is not an ending. This is not a culmination. This is the beginning of a whole new way of me worshiping and praising God. In fact, the word rejoice means to leap or jump for joy in God, my personal Savior. Did Mary need a Savior? You bet she did, and she acknowledged that. She needed a Savior just like we all need a Savior. And she's rejoicing in the fact that God would save her and allow her to serve him in this way. Notice nine times in this hymn of praise the phrase he has. Verse 48, he has looked upon the humble state of his servant. Verse 49, he has done great things, notice, for me. She made it personal. But then she says, from generation to generation, he's merciful to any who fear him. So it's not just he'll dispense great things and do great things for me personally. I know my God, he'll do it for anyone and everyone. Notice verse 51. He has demonstrated power with his arm. He has scattered those with pride. He has, verse 52, brought down the mighty. He has lifted up those of lowly position. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. He has helped even his servant Israel. He has, he has, he has. She is just very easily, without any effort at all, recounting all the things that God has done that she wants to recognize. I thought to myself, you know what? I need to follow Mary's example. Especially at this time of year where we can get so busy around the holidays. I need to take some time, and I'm just going to even just do it very literally. I want to write down the nine things that my God has done. Mary recognized nine things that God has done that she wanted to praise him for. I thought, I, I want to do, I, I want to write those down. I, I want to note nine things throughout the Christmas season. I want to encourage you to do that. You don't have to stay with nine. I just picked nine because Mary has nine in her hymn of praise. But I would encourage you this Christmas season, you want to sort of stir your life of worship and, and, and not get so caught up in everything else that we sort of get our Savior lost in, in all of it, take time to note nine things that God has done for you, for others, for your family. She notes what God has done even in verse 54, not only to all those who fear them, fear him, but also to Israel. 
how he has held and supported Israel through all the years, always being mindful of his mercy, his covenant loyalty, as he promised, verse 55, to our ancestors. This young woman worshipped the Lord. She is an example to all of us who, when we consider and think about who God is, And what he has done, that how can we not help but our soul and spirit just rising up from within us and just praising and exalting and magnifying and celebrating our God? If for no other reason we could spend the rest of our lives just praising him for this one thing that Mary talks about in verse 47. My spirit has just begun to rejoice in God, my Savior. May we never get over the wonder of God's love for us. May we never take for granted and stop appreciating the fact that God became a man and was willing to die in our place on a cross, was buried, rose three days later in order that we might have eternal life. Eternal life. Once this life of ours is over, we've got a whole eternity waiting on us in glory. All because of Jesus our wonderful Savior. May we never stop rejoicing in God, our Savior. So if you and I want to have a Merry Christmas this year, we need to live our lives by the grace of God, realizing how favored we are that even though we might have to go through some really hard times, really challenging circumstances and trials, God promises that he will be with us every step of the way and will give us all the grace that we need. And his grace is sufficient. Second, in order to have a Merry Christmas, we need to have a willing attitude. Instead of saying no to God this season, when God comes to us and and moves and asks, we need to, like Mary, say, yes, Lord, yes. And finally, if we're going to have a Merry Christmas, we need to have a worshipful attitude. We need to make sure that our very soul and spirit is exalting the Lord like never before. And that we are lifting him up more and more every day. Would you stand with me and join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you today for this story that, Lord, took place some 2,000 years ago. And yet, Lord, this young woman, 
this dear young teenage woman, Lord, can speak to us 2,000 years later. Lord, we don't want to overly magnify Mary so much that Jesus takes second place, but we also don't want to ignore her and push her aside as if she doesn't deserve attention and honor for who she was. Because, Lord, she stood out to you because she was receptive to your grace. And, Lord, I pray this Christmas season that each of us, Lord, will be able to have a Mary-like Christmas because, Lord, we realize that we can be like her in that we can exhibit being the favored one, the willing one, and the worshipful one. God, would you go with us through our time of worship today? And may, Lord, you hear your people exalting you. May you take pleasure, Lord, in us lifting up our soul and spirit and rejoicing in God, our Savior, just as Mary did. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.